a missionary on furlough told this story, this true story, while visiting his home church in Michigan. While serving at a, a small field hospital in Africa, every two weeks, he said, I traveled by bicycle through the jungle to a nearby city for supplies. It was a journey of two days and required camping overnight at the halfway point. On one of these journeys, I arrived in the city where I planned to collect money from a bank, purchase medicine and supplies, and begin my two-day journey back to the hospital. Upon arriving at the city, two men were fighting, and one was seriously injured. I treated his injuries and told him about Jesus Christ. I then traveled two days, camped overnight, and arrived back home without incident. Two weeks later, I repeated my journey. When I arrived back at the city, I was approached by the young man I had treated. He told me he knew I carried money and medicines. He said, some friends and I followed you into the jungle, knowing you would camp overnight. We planned to kill you and take your money and drugs. But just as we were about to jump your camp, we saw that you were surrounded by 26 armed guards. At this I laughed and said that I certainly was all alone out there in that jungle campsite. But the young man pressed the point saying, No, sir, I was not the only person to see the guards. My five friends also saw them and we all counted them. It was because of those 26 armed guards that we were afraid and left you alone. At this point in his message, a man in the audience jumped to his feet, interrupted the missionary, and asked for the exact day that the incident occurred. The missionary told him, and the man excitedly told this story. On the night of your incident in Africa, it was morning here. And I was preparing to play golf. I was about to tee off when I felt the urge to pray for you. In fact, the urging of the Holy Spirit was so strong that I called men to meet me here at the church to pray for you. The man turned to the audience and said, If you were here with me that day to pray, please stand up. The men who met together to pray stood up. The missionary wasn't really concerned with who they were, but he wept as they counted their number. 
There were 26. These 26 men stood in the gap for this missionary and interceded on his behalf before the Lord. And this morning, we're going to see something very similar being done by Queen Esther as she stands in the gap and intercedes on behalf of her people before King Ahasuerus. Last week, when we think about the wicked Haman, we might say what goes around comes around. In the story of Esther, the enemy of the Jews is now gone. Impaled on the very wooden stake he had prepared for Mordecai the Jew. All because behind the scenes, in his subtle ways, at just the right time, God intervened on behalf of His people. Yes, there were some tense moments. Yes, there were some times when all seemed lost. And yes, there were occasions where God appeared to be absent. But when looking back, we can clearly see that all along, God was at work. Skillfully weaving the decisions and the actions and the chaotic situations created by people. Ordering and organizing every detail to accomplish His divine purposes for the greater good of His people. God is always at work. And in this story, He's still at it. Which brings us to Esther chapter 8. Esther chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Hopefully it's on the board behind me. Okay, good. <clears throat> on that day, King Ahasuerus gave the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had disclosed what he was to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had taken away from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai 
over the house of Haman. According to Persian Persian law, when a person was convicted as a traitor and executed, his property, his possessions, and his wealth were confiscated by the king. Even his relatives became wards of the state, so to speak. So when Haman was executed, the entire estate of this extremely wealthy man was taken by the king. And then, maybe as a gesture of kindness, or maybe as compensation for her emotional pain and suffering, the king gave the entire estate to his wife, Queen Esther. We're also told in this passage that King Ahasuerus now knows that Esther is a Jew. And she lets the cat out of the bag and discloses that Mordecai the Jew is her older cousin. Esther probably told the king that her mother and father had died when she was a child. And it was Mordecai who took her in and raised her as his own daughter. Mordecai was a father figure to Esther. And so the guy who had saved the king's life some five years earlier is not only family to Esther, but surprise, surprise, he is also family to the king by marriage. Well, with this new information, Mordecai is summoned before the king. And the signet ring, once worn by Haman, is now given to Mordecai. Which means, Mordecai is now the number two man in the Persian Empire. Then on top of that, as a bonus... Esther gives Mordecai the vast estate of Haman. So Mordecai gets fame from the king and he gets fortune from the queen. What a difference a day makes. And I say that because just the day before, Haman was on top of the world. He had power and prestige and possessions beyond belief. He seemed to have all that the world had to offer. But that was yesterday. This day... Haman is gone. 
And Mordecai, the guy he was fixated on and wanted to kill, is given everything that Haman possessed. Ironically, in God's divine providence, the riches of the enemy of the Jews is given to a Jew. We're told in Proverbs chapter 37, verse 34 to 36, wait for the Lord and keep His way. And He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen a violent, wicked man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. Then, he passed away. And lo, he was no more. I sought for him. But he could not be found. Haman cannot be found. For he is dead. But the trouble he created is still very much alive. So let's continue with verse 3. Then Esther spoke again to the king, fell at his feet, wept, and implored him to avert the evil scheme of Haman the Agagite and his plot which he had devised against the Jews. The king extended the golden scepter to Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king. Then he said, Then she said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor before him, and the matter seems proper to the king, and I am pleasing in his sight, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamdatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the calamity which will befall my people? And how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? This appears to be a separate occurrence. Maybe on the same day. Where once again... Esther comes before the king uninvited. Falling at his feet, weeping in great humility. The king is moved with mercy. And he extends his golden scepter, which is his way of saying, speak, I am listening. Then Queen Esther arises to her feet and she appeals to the heart of the king. She appeals to his affection for her as his wife. And she explains her dire concern that unless 
something is done by him unless the extermination order prepared by Haman is revoked on the 13th day of the last month of the year, the people in the Persian Empire will rise up and attack the Jews and wipe them off the face of the earth. At that time, there were about 15 million Jews among the 100 million people in the empire. So from a human perspective, the odds were stacked against the Jews. For Esther, the most important thing was the the deliverance of her people. And she could not rest until the matter was resolved. Esther could not be happy. She could not live a life of pampered luxury as the queen, knowing that others were condemned. And so she felt compelled to stand in the gap and do something. Something she could do. And that is what she did. She approached the king uninvited. And we know this because he extended his golden scepter towards her. And if you recall, according to Persian law, she could have been killed on the spot for approaching him without a summons. But she did it anyway. She asked nothing for herself except that the king might save her people and lift lift the heavy burden for them that was placed on her heart. Esther's willingness to stand in the gap for others speaks volumes to me. And is my hope this morning to take what she did and apply it to our lives today. Esther had a burden on her heart for a condemned people. Did she not? She had a burden on her heart for a condemned people. She wanted that burden lifted by the king. But ironically, I think we need to come before the King of Kings and pray that He would do just the opposite and place a burden on our hearts for the condemned.
for the lost. And to give us the courage of Esther to do our part. To share our faith. Something we can do. Something we know we should do. Someone once said that sharing one's faith is like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's a great description. The reason we call ourselves Christians today is because someone shared their faith with us. Someone told us beggars where to find bread. Christianity has grown because someone told someone else who told someone else and so on and so on. This is how the Christian faith has spread all over the world from the early church until today. And the practice of sharing one faith should include you and me as well. Just like Esther played her part in God's plan of standing in the gap for the condemned, we too have a part to play by sharing our faith. By sharing what we know. Now some of you might be saying to yourself, I agree with you, Pastor. But I don't like speaking. I hear you. But you and I both know that's not exactly true. We will talk about, even start conversations about kids and sports, the weather, a TV show, politics, vacations, and anything else under the sun. Heck, we can talk all day about people we don't even like without even the slightest hint of having a single problem with speaking. You know I'm right. You know I'm right. If the truth be told, we will go out of our way to tell anyone about anything we consider to be interesting or important. That's what we do. But for some reason, we get tongue-tied and tight-lipped and anxious when it comes to sharing good news 
to people who really need it. To people who are oftentimes dealing with their own badness. So if speaking really isn't the problem, and it really isn't the problem, then what is the problem? Most likely it's fear. Fear of rejection. A fear of offending someone. It's fear. And I can understand that. We all want to be liked, right? We all want to be accepted. We don't want to be unpopular. We don't want to come across as being weird or weirder. But in all honesty, and hear me, in all honesty, you and I cannot control what other people think. Consider this for a moment. Jesus was perfect in all his ways. Was he not? Perfect in all his ways. He loved everyone perfectly. He made no mistakes. And still, he offended people and was rejected by many. That's Jesus. I want to share something with you that might surprise you. People who don't know Jesus, people who don't know Jesus are more amazed at our silence than they are offended by our message. And you repeat that? People who do not know Jesus are more amazed at our silence than they are offended by our message. They are amazed that we believe Jesus is the answer. We believe Jesus loves them. We believe Jesus wants his love made known to them. Right? Do we not? And yet, we 
who claim to be graciously loved and forgiven by the Lord are unwilling to say anything about Him. Try wrapping your mind around that. I can't. Maybe I'm just reaching here. And I could be completely off base. Maybe it's the NyQuil. But what I'm going to say is not meant to pressure or heap guilt on anyone. But in my opinion... The problem for every one of us, me included, the problem for every one of us when it comes to sharing our faith ultimately boils down to one thing, in my opinion. One thing. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. That's it. We have allowed our fears our negative assumptions about people, our insecurities, our overthinking, and our lack of experience to influence our obedience. In obedience... Please listen to this. In obedience, we just need to talk to people, not at them. We just need to talk to people, not at people. And in the context of a normal, natural conversation. Hear me. In the context of a normal, natural conversations, conversations we all have with other people. When the opportunity presents itself, when the thought comes to mind to talk about Jesus, or the truths of the gospel, then just do it. Just do it. And let me also say, I said this in Sunday school class as well, there is no need to awkwardly force the gospel into a conversation. 
That's the fear of many. But there's no need to awkwardly force the gospel into a conversation. Just listen. Because oftentimes, it's the other person who actually opens the door for you. You just need to be obedient and step in to stand in the gap. Now, maybe you won't see an opportunity to share your faith during a normal, natural conversation. But someone shares their needs with you. That happens all the time. And maybe that is an opportunity to pray for that person. And that leads me to another way that Esther's willingness to stand in the gap before the king applies to you and me. As we study the Bible, there are countless numbers of instances where God's people interceded for others. In his letter to Timothy, the young pastor in the church of Ephesus, the Apostle Paul wrote this. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul told Timothy that the first order of the church was to intercede in prayer on behalf of other people. Prayer is a privilege given to us by God. It's an avenue by which we may look upward and communicate with God. At any time, it reminds us that God is in charge. It's an act that highlights our dependency upon Him. And it's a way that God has hardwired us to move heaven and earth according to His will. In His wisdom, far beyond my feeble comprehension, God has chosen. He has determined to use the prayers of His people to accomplish His purposes. Everything that's worth doing, 
everything that God wants to do in His church, everything that God wants to do in my life and your life, all of it has to be handled with prayer. Prayer is the link. Prayer is the link between the resources of God and the needs of people. And for the believer who prays for someone, listen to this, for the believer who prays for someone, they get to stand in the gap between those resources and those needs. And when we think of ourselves in that kind of role, that solemn role, we can't help but understand the importance of an unwavering prayer for others. It may be our greatest work. It may be our greatest act of love. In his book, Stories for the Journey, William White tells of a European seminary professor and his wife, Hans and Enid. During World War II, they escaped to America, where Hans began teaching in a seminary. Students loved this Bible teacher, and they enjoyed observing the tender love that Hans and Enid displayed as the couple walked hand in hand around the campus. Enid's unexpected death sent Hans into a pit of sorrow. The seminary president and three other friends began visiting Hans, but he remained lonely and depressed. Hans confided in them, in them and said, I'm no longer able to pray to God. In fact, I'm not certain I believe in God anymore. After an awkward moment of silence, the seminary president responded, then we will believe for you. We will pray for you. In the following weeks, the four men met daily to pray with Hans, asking God to help Hans experience God's presence and healing. Months later, as the four men gathered again, Hans greeted them with a smile and said, It is no longer necessary for you to pray for me. Instead, I would like you to pray with me. Intercessory prayer is one of those 
subjects that the more we think about it, the more we might have to rethink what it means to actually pray for others. From what I have learned from people much smarter than, uh, than I am, like Charles Stanley, when standing in the gap for someone through prayer, he says, it may be helpful, it may be necessary, that we somehow, some way, identify with the needs and the burdens of those we pray for. When Jesus looked out over the crowd, we are told he felt compassion for them. He felt what they felt. And this may be a reason why God allows us to suffer so we can identify with others who suffer. The Apostle Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, that's a purpose statement, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves were comforted by God. Through our own experiences of suffering, in many respects, to some degree, we are able to feel what others feel and share in their burden and pain. And when we can do this, surely it will impact how we pray for them. When we pray for others, it is helpful we identify with them. But we must also seek God's best for them. In other words, we must seek God's will for them. That is the main focus of this kind of prayer. God's will. Quite often, we may think... There's only one possible course of action. Only one answer to a problem. But in the role of praying for others, we have to accept that God knows the situation better than we do and we must seek His will first and foremost. Many years ago, When my own son was heavily involved in drugs, spiraling out of control, we could see it. I remember the afternoon, 
I met with a pastor. We stood in a parking lot. And we prayed in that parking lot that God would remove my son from that environment. Weeks later, God did not bring my son home. Instead, my son was incarcerated. That was God's will. And I had to be settled with that. Lastly, when we pray for others, and I have to ask a question. When praying for others, would you be willing to be part of the answer if necessary? Think about that. When praying for others, if necessary, would you be willing to be part of the answer? If you're not willing to be part of the answer to your own prayer, For another person, then are we really standing in the gap for them? Good question, isn't it? So, yes, when it comes to intercessory prayer, your hands as well as your knees may get a little dirty. But that's okay. I know I've given you a few things to think about this morning. So I want to close with this one verse found in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. It should be on the board where we are told, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. In Ezekiel's day, God looked for a person to stand in the gap. But he found no one. Today, are you willing to be that person to stand in the gap either by sharing your faith to a condemned people by praying for others? I think that's our call, isn't it? To stand in the gap. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you, Lord, that you stood in the gap on our behalf. You stood between a holy God and sinful man. We could not call you Lord without you doing that. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You desire that we come to you. You desire that we stand in the gap for others. Father, I pray that we would all come to that place, every one of us, where we would say from our heart, not my will, but yours be done. That's a hard prayer. But it's a prayer that needs to be prayed. Not my will, but yours be done. Give us the courage of Esther, Lord. Help us to be about your business. May you be honored and glorified. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. We were talking in Sunday school a little bit, and we'd said something that uh, applies to what we talked about just now. God is always at work around us. He's always working. And there are some things that God can do that we cannot do. There are things that only He can do. Only He can do. For example, only He can draw people unto Himself. He has to do that. He has to do that. He gives people a desire for spiritual truth, to seek spiritual truth. He does that. He does that. And when we see somebody, family, friend, co-worker, who's asking questions about God, who's asking questions about spiritual truth, God's at work. He is at work in that person's life. And He's placed you in that person's life for a reason. To share what you know. Just to share what you know. I hope you pray during the course of the week, Lord, 
allow me to cross paths with somebody so that I can share what I know. Just listen. More often than not, they will open the door for the conversation. You just have to share what you know. Let's not make it harder than it has to be. God loves you. You know that. He loves them as well. He died for them. And they need to know it. If they share a need with you, offer to pray with them. I have found personally when someone lets me pray for them, they will allow me to share with them. Sometimes prayer with someone is the way to open a door. I hope the Lord just does some crazy things in your life this week. I'm anticipating it. I'm looking forward to it. You just have to be obedient. I told the class this morning, we are just called to be faithful and obedient. We are not called to be successful. God is the one who moves the hearts, not us. That's His thing. That's His part. We just share what we know. That's our part. It was not my intent this morning to to guilt anyone. To make you feel bad and know God's not angry at you. He's not mad. Okay? He's not mad. But how about today we just start fresh and look for those opportunities to stand in the gap for someone else. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. I'm glad you're here this morning. And maybe you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Oh, please let me know. I would love to introduce you to him. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd love to have you. Or maybe there's something else on your mind. I would love to pray with you. However you feel moved, just respond in obedience to the Lord.